1: Welcome to the Fire Boys. My name is Parker McDonald. And I'm Walter Lee, and we'll be your hosts on this episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. If you're a new hunter trying to learn the basics, or you're a veteran woodsman just trying to get through your work day, there's always a place at our campfire for you speaking of the fire we would love it if you guys would join our growing patreon community and be a part of the best and only digital deer camp south of
0: and dixon line
1: come on if you'd like and learn more click on the link in the show notes but for now walt welcome, welcome to the, to the fire. fire welcome back everybody to another episode of the southern collective hunting podcast um this is this is gonna be a fun one. This is not God, I say that all the time. I gotta find some other way of saying I'm excited, but I guess you guys just kind of feel the enthusiasm at this point. This is an episode that teases something big. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about on the podcast about what Parker and I joining forces does. It brings more. And we talked about, we didn't want to set a, say a bunch of stuff because we had a lot of feelers and we didn't know what would pan out, what wouldn't. And, and at the end of the day, you guys just care about the stuff that does pan out. And so we've got a whole catalog of stuff we're working on. We're still working out the kinks of some stuff, as you guys know. Uh, but we started the Life in the Fire series, which when people are in the woods, uh, a minimum of one episode is going on the main feed up to four episodes or three more additional uh, episodes will go to the Patreon. Exclusive feed. Uh, we're still working through that in the regular season. And this kind of touches on something that's coming that m- many of you don't care about right now. Uh, you will start to care about very soon. Uh, there's a switch that flips for some of you guys. Uh, for some of you, the switch is always on, but just the light just kind of flickers a little bit, you know, it just, there's, there's different levels of enthusiasm and to set the stage. If you're looking right now, uh, at this on a clip on reel, this is not my deer hunting hat. Let me show you what my deer hunting hat looks like. This is my deer hunting hat. Okay. Okay. What I've got on is my turkey killing cat. okay? Because we're talking turkeys right now, uh, Craig. I know you just sighed, just like a, oh my god, I can't believe I got baited into this. Uh, but uh, we're talking turkeys, and we're going to tease what's to come by teasing that. What I mean is, we're going to introduce a turkey contributor who has joined the Soco crew and is going to start to contribute curated content throughout the all season and during the regular season for those who really enjoy and have a passion for turkey hunting. Obviously. Anybody might enjoy it, right, whether it's deer season or not, but specifically speaking, there's a whole sect of us who would listen to a turkey podcast in the middle of August. We don't care. We're just we're tied in. And I say all that to say we are introducing a man among men, okay? We're talking about a a fella that I think you could drop on any place of this earth and kill a turkey, uh, and a man who turkey calls have been named after, Mr. Joey Bell. What's up, man? (laughs) <laughs> Not a whole lot. Yeah, we are a uh, a small
2: percentage of people in this country that will listen to turkey content twenty four seven. I'm still a subscriber to the Turkey, the Wild Turkey Science Podcast. I haven't missed an episode. It's almost November. A lot of these deer guys are cranking up for the rut, and rightfully so. I mean it's it's a it's a deer hunter's world right now. Um, but yeah, there's there are certain individuals that have borderline mental issues like myself that think about yep all hand <laughs> raise your hand uh that think about these uh these crazy birds all the time it's just something we just tick a little bit differently than everybody else
1: yeah you know it's funny uh you're in that soco group with matt and brett and i and chase and uh it's funny i'll, I'll talk start talking about turkeys and matt and brett are like dude freaking focus. And then Parker, Parker will send me some side message like, dude, I need you to stop talking about Turkey. I'm trying to pay attention to deer right now. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where until a few years ago, I wasn't that guy. I wasn't, I never got bent up about turkeys. It was something you did to pass time between deer seasons. Um, everyone on this podcast knows the, the story and how that went. Um, you've got to watch a lot of that, both kind of tangently from the sidelines, but then as you've you know we've grown closer and and spent more time in chat chat rooms, which makes me laugh every time I say that. But because uh, we're basically like uh, pin pals over text message, if you really think <laughs> yeah. about it, right? Like, I mean that's what it is.
2: Yeah. Um, but modern you know, day you, modern day pen pals—that's that's yeah. <laughs> probably the perfect way to describe a lot of yeah. a lot of how uh, a bunch of us meet, you know, online, yeah. you know, through social media or whatever nowadays.
1: Well, if you look at the Discord group, I mean that's nothing but pen pals, right? I mean that's that's oh, yeah. exactly what it is. Uh, you know, you know, it's funny as our wives probably make fun of us for for talking about these people we never see. And yet, I don't know if the previous generation like did that to their husbands when they wrote a letter, but that for some reason, because there's that internet component and a, I don't know, but. <laughs> they, Dude, yeah, I remember back in the day they used to send uh, letters to inmates.
2: You know, <laughs> you, you could have yeah. a pen pal in in prison, and they would write letters back and forth. So I don't maybe that's not a good uh, a good way to describe what we got going on here, <laughs> but it, it just reminded me of that that people used to write letters to people in prison.
1: Did you ever do that in youth camp? Where you would write like a letter to somebody who was in prison and there was there was this whole ministry of like getting people to write encouraging letters youths to write encouraging letters to people who had like life sentences and i always <laughs> i'm serious like was, these were people that were never getting out and i remember thinking like what's the point like the, what benefit is What am I doing here at this point, right? Like, if they don't find Jesus in a life sentence, my letter from Walter Lee in Southeast Georgia at age 13 is not going to lead them to the Lord, you know? Like, um, but that was a thing. So you said that and it made me laugh.
2: Yeah, um, we never, we never sent any pen. I don't, I don't think I ever sent anybody a letter. I think maybe in middle school, I sent, you know, something to like some of the fan clubs to, to some of these big time celebrities back in the day. I think.
1: In seventy-five percent,
2: yeah, seventy-five percent of the kids sent uh, a letter to Michael Jordan. You know that was the yeah. heyday back then.
1: <clears throat> well, I said earlier you were uh, a Turkey Call was named after you. Uh, if you've ever bought one of the uh, Chasing Tails, which will soon be a Soco uh, edition, but um, a, a Chasing Tails Turkey Call, and you bought the three pack that had the JB special in it. Ah, starting to make sense now, right? Joey Bell special. Uh, Joey is uh world renowned for jumping into kids' calling competitions and beating them up. And so, in that, you know, he, you, know, I want you to tell that story before this podcast's over because I really think it absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but Joey spent an enormous amount of time in our polo group showing people how he does a lot of different calls. And 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 when it comes to turkey hunting, I think that. A lot of people will tell you, you just have to practice until you figure it out. I don't really find that to be true. I like hearing how other people do things because I might get a noise doing one way, one side of my mouth. And, uh, you know, maybe I can get the front end of that note, but I can't get the rest of it. And so if I spend all my time doing it on that side of my mouth, I'm just getting frustrated thinking I suck. When in reality, the I'm, I'm a right flow guy, a left flow guy. And, and hearing people, you took my calling from like a one to a three, and that's that's a huge progression because I'm terrible with a mouth call, man. That's, that's saying a lot. Um, but I ended up naming that offset ghost after you because I had Daniel make me an offset ghost because I felt like I could get more control after it. And you had been raving about a ghost call that you had. You had cut, like, the tips of it off or something? What, what? Yeah, to make
2: – you know, the first time I did that, when I made any kind of adjustments on a mouth call, I'd never done it before. And for some reason – I just felt like it was a time that you know I could maybe just make a couple of cuts on my of my own and just see what happens and the reason I did that was you know I had bought you know out countless ghost cuts you know over the last handful of years, and they all worked well, but i there was just something missing for me, <clears throat> excuse me um in that the way I don't know either the way my mouth operates or the way my air channel is. It just seemed like every mouth call that I ran had just too much rasp for me, for my taste anyway. Because, and at that at that time, I hadn't really gotten into competition calling either. I was just trying to sound more like a real actual, you know, plain Jane turkey and not the opera singer of turkeys that you hear on the competition stages. I was just trying to get more, more turkey. And so what I was noticing is that the hens that I was hearing in the woods, they just didn't have as much rasp as some of these calls were putting out. And so what I did, I it was an Appalachian custom call, a uh, ghost cut. And I just took a small pair of, I don't know if it was like surgical scissors or some kind of cosmetic scissors, just teeny tiny little scissors. Mm-hmm. And if you, uh, if anybody knows, you know, most people know what a ghost cut you know, looks like. It looks kind of like an omega symbol uh, when you're looking at that cut reed on top. So I took those scissors and I snipped the points off of that, I guess, the lower part of that omega symbol. So instead of that omega, it had almost a straight horseshoe. It was like a more open cut. And I think what that did uh, was, since I cut those tips off, it took down a lot of that rasp. And so at first, I thought I had messed up that call. And, you know, if you, when you get a mouth call and you first put it in and then you, you run it for a little while and then maybe you pick it up either a few days later or even a couple weeks later after it lays around in your mouth call pouch or whatever, lays on your desk for however long, stays in the fridge, whatever, that tone can change just, you know, the reads either stretch out, whatever. The calls do what calls do. But anyway, it just sounds different. So yeah, at first I thought I messed it up because it just didn't sound right. I just thought I'd just jack the whole thing up, wasted you know, you know, ten dollars or whatever. But I I uh, I ran it, like I said, a week or so later, and the the soft calling came out effortless effortlessly, because there was hardly any rasp, and so. I was like, man, that's exactly what I want. Because when I would try to get like really soft and really low on some of these ghost cuts and you know or whatever cuts that claim to be uh, very high pitched to to no rasp or little rasp, I was still getting too much rasp. And so I could just I could whisper tree calls, I could whisper a whine, I could whisper a purr, and to me that just sounded more realistic. And so that led to you know me showing the polo group. Uh, I was like, hey, you know, I got this call. I think I messed it up, and then a couple weeks later or whatever, I was like, hey, you remember that call I thought I messed up? Well, check this out, and I don't know. It sounded sounded a lot better to me, and uh, I guess Walt took that and ran with it. He was like, oh, let's uh, let's build one uh, for, uh, for his taste right there.
1: Yeah, I mean realistically, the idea of being able to modify a call and maybe get something better from it was what happened, right? You know, I liked I liked the the ghost, but it felt like in the center of my palate, I couldn't ever get control. And I'm like, okay, well, is there such thing as an offset? And I'm friends with Daniel, and I'm like, hey, dude, is an offset ghost cut a thing that, you know, would maybe fix this? He goes, maybe. Here's what you should do to try. I'll make you up, like, he made me like 13 calls. And he goes, tell me which ones you like, right? I didn't even know a lick, boot goose about it. Um, and so it turned out that the left side uh, ghost cut turned out to be a, a wildly successful option. It was by far, hands down, doesn't even come close, the most demanded turkey call uh, that we made out of that, such that we're not doing a three-pack this year. We're going to do two single-packs. Um, mm-hmm. We had the not-safer work, which was a bat wing. I'm sorry. It was a um, combo... Um,
2: Combo or reverse combo.
1: I think it's like a reverse combo. Is what it is, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. It's one of those two. Um, and then we had the hot tamale, which was a bat wing, and then we had the JB special. And it was so funny because people who had never used mouth calls before would go to the the to the bat wing. They'd play with it for a second. They'd pop that JB special, in, and all of a sudden, they're like, oh my god, look at this! Right, like you know, it was just it was night and day. Um, and so we knew we struck fire there and we had people order in three packs like, Hey, can I order a three pack and it all be JB specials? Can I order a three pack and it'd be two JB specials and a fill in the blank. Um, and so we're going to give everybody the option of, of picking and choosing. And I think we're going to prototype some other calls, including a pot call, a resin epoxy pot call that, uh, mm-hmm. Joey, I'll make sure you get one of those introductory, uh, calls. Um, I'm not huge on a pot call. I don't use them very often, but it's one mm-hmm. of those few things that when you really need it to work, it can sometimes be that difference maker. I don't think there's too many calls that truly do that. Um, mm-hmm. But so a lot of fun things coming down the pipe and and you can trust that Joey uh, will have his hand in pretty much every call that pops out uh, moving forward. So uh, you got a bunch of calls coming from Daniel, don't you?
2: Yeah. Uh, it was just this week. You know, he had reached out to me last week and I was out, I was on, I was on vacation with the family, and uh, so we connected again early this week, and we got to talking about calls. and I was telling him what I got out of the JB special, and I told him about you know the call that uh, that I had modified initially, and uh, calls that I used this past spring, what I liked, and just what I observed. and He took that information. I think he's going to put together a handful of calls and try to you know try to fit my taste too. And one thing that I've kind of figured out. You know, everybody's got. There's not one. There's not two people that have the same fingerprints. There's not nope. two people on this world that have the exact same mouth. You know, shape. You know, depth. Whatever dimensions. And I think that's just. Uh, you know, because I mean, it's 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 such an individual uh, thing. You know, for mouth for mouth calls, turkey calls, or whatever. Like what works for me may not work for Walt. May not work for mm-hmm. anybody else in the world. Mm-hmm. Just because my mouth is so unique. you know, There's a good clip for, for Ron to take out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know what's funny is there's only one call known to man that I think everybody regards as the best out there with the exception of people who may have their own product to sell, right? Just the average guy. And that's this right here, Harrison Hootenstein. Mm-hmm. I swear to God there's not yep. a single person out there who doesn't sell a product that won't tell you that this is the best daggum anybody can pick it. In fact, to the point where when he died – I went online and bought another one, mm-hmm. um, just because I didn't know if hooks was going to continue, and mm-hmm. uh, I bought one to put in my my son's uh, hope chest so that one day when he decides to go turkey hunting, uh, he's got you know a legendary alcohol to lose in the woods right. at thirteen. I'm sure.
2: Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's for sure a signature you know alcohol nowadays. It it used to be the the pre most uh what was Power it? Power I forget. Power Owl. Or Owl whatever. Hooter or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody used to have one of those and it's uh now it's grad we've graduated up to the hooks. Yeah. But I yeah, love this And it's stuff like that that you know that we've kinda of talked about going forward about what do we want to talk about in the off season leading up to turkey season. I'm trying to th- I was trying to think about what topics are running around in my brain before turkey season you know in the it's the middle of the fall right now what am i thinking about or what should i be thinking about and so maybe i think before season we're going to try to get a couple things out um more kind of like gear related like chokes and matching you know a shotgun load to a choke and what gauge and all that stuff you know i, I can nerd out for hours on stuff like that and i'm hoping at least one other person can <laughs> yeah. yeah and then uh well, uh, we may end up talking about habitat, you know, Hey, this is, you know, November. What should I be doing about habitat? What do I need to be thinking about for making habitat for turkeys? Or it's, uh, it could be anything fall turkey hunting. It may be getting kind of late in the year for fall turkey hunt, but it's just, uh, everything besides tactics, I guess is what I'm getting at. I think maybe we'll save tactics for early spring and into the season. Because if you're like me, your memory is super poor. And if you start talking about tactics in October, you will forget them before Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll you save know, some of that stuff for, you know, like in in the moment, you know, per se. Yeah,
1: it, It's funny when you and I were brainstorming about this, you said that to me and I thought, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And then I started thinking about it, like actually thinking about it. And I'm like. Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't. I'm always like, I remember there's an episode about fill in the blank and I need to go back and find that and listen because that's mm-hmm. what happened to me today. Um, so I love the approach. I think the idea you came up with about going into some of this gear, uh, and the technical side of things makes a lot of sense. Also, from frankly, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, it makes sense from a budgetary standpoint in that, yeah. um, now is the time where people want to be investing or they're soon will need to start thinking about, well, TSS cost me uh, fifty around fifty dollars around to shoot, and a choke tube from um, um, who's the guy that we just we're going to have on? It, um, we're shooting for Indian Creek, uh, Indian Creek. For those guys, right? Yeah, Yep, Sorry, um, you know that's going to be eighty bucks, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, he's saying I need a pistol grip. He's saying I need this, right? Whatever it is, you don't want to be trying to find it in March. Right. right you don't right. want to be trying to find it in february and so I, what i'm hoping is that these will be entertaining enough to enough people that these these gear episodes and as the winter starts to progress and things start getting cold and people start thinking about turkey uh we're going to start sending out email listservs where we're like hey guys in case you missed it here here are the top 3 gear episodes going into uh turkey season christmas is around the corner now is the time to buy this stuff kind of kind of uh email list so um I- i'm really looking forward to it because I think that this is going to be kind of a unique way of going about breaking down this content. And then during deer, during deer turkey season, it'll, it'll be more, um, you know, strategy, but also success. Like I'm looking forward yeah. to coming up to Tennessee and hunting with you this year. You know, the group crew, crew's coming back up there and, uh, we're going to be hunting lower Alabama and, and central Florida. I mean, we're going to be going all over the place and you guys are going to want to hear those stories.
2: Yeah, and uh, vice versa. I'm looking forward to coming down to Florida for the first time. I was, I was hoping to get down last year and you know, I had uh, had my son's, uh-huh. you know, surgery and all that other stuff going on, so I wasn't able to make it, but I'm really banking on getting down there this year. You know, we'll for sure have a Patreon hunt again at an uh, undisclosed location except for Patreon members, so there's a good plug right yep. there if you want to come join us. Um but yeah, we'll uh we'll knock around the swamps. Down there for a week, or I'm going to stay down there for a week. And uh, if, if I kill my two birds early, you know, heaven, heaven help us, you know, and uh, pray for early success, I'll still stick around for the rest of the week and just hunt with whoever, just because I like I like to go. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun one, you know. We'll mm-hmm. we'll try to keep everything steady, uh, you know, throughout the winter or whatever. Maybe once a month, I I like to uh, under promise and over deliver. So, mm-hmm, hopefully mm-hmm. I, so hopefully, if I hopefully if I can uh, uh, if we can get something out, you know, once a month or every six weeks or something, then we'll at least make it to once a month. And then hopefully, if we get into the season and if we promise something, you know, every other
1: every other week, we'll at least get it out once a month again. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think uh, I think that consistency is just enough, right? I think you put out mm-hmm. one, you know, a minimum of one uh, a month. I think even your casual deer hunter is going to have some tr- some time behind the wheel. During the during hunting season, right? Uh, and and you're a fan favorite inside the Patreon group, so I think people are going to want to hear what you have to say. So, um, I, I'm excited because the last out of towner, like true out of towner that came to the turkey hunt this spring, we're having it the same location, same group of guys, like you said, undisclosed to the general public. Um, the last guy that came. He and his hunting partner on open and day killed four freaking turkeys and tagged out and then just <laughs> continued to strut, pun intended, across camp the entire <laughs> effing four days. It was the most Rightfully obnoxious so. thing you've ever seen. <laughs> 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 and they did it all in like the exact same spot. Like Wow. It, it like I swear to God, they picked up from one side of the tree, went to this other side of the tree, and killed the remaining three. So
0: yeah.
1: um Chuck is always telling us how easy turkey hunting is in Florida now as a result. So um <laughs> Joey, let's let's do this to kinda round out where we're going with this. I feel like it's important. We've introduced a new contributor. I think people need to know why they need to listen to you. Um, and so I'd kind of like for you to do two things in the, in, the, in the latter part of this podcast. The first is I'd like for you to introduce who you are and what your turkey hunting history is, right? How did you get involved in this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then close this thing out with that turkey calling competition because that story is, I mean, just... <laughs> Absolute gold, and the fact that you will own it as brazenly as you do um, is just a testament to who you are.
2: Oh, yeah, I've still got the trophy uh, sitting back here. <laughs> Did, uh, you on got the, an on actual te- trophy
1: too? Oh, I got a trophy. I got oh a trophy. Oh, my God. And it's okay. never
2: going anywhere. Let me tell you. I need
1: a picture of that for the podcast episode thumbnail. That's, yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll send you the other picture too of me and the kids.
1: <laughs> yes, please. <laughs>
2: But yeah, just uh, you know, a quick rundown of how I got so you know passionate about turkey hunting. I grew up, you know, my dad hunted. He was primarily a bird hunter, and uh, he was a, he was a lot older than every other you know friend I had. Uh, parents, he was he's eighty years old now, and uh, he had me when he was forty one, I think, uh, or forty two. But anyway, he was a little older, and uh, I guess what I'm getting at is. He didn't grow up with, with deer. There were no deer, you know, around here when he grew up. There obviously weren't any turkeys either. He went to the Army uh, in the mid-60s. Or no, I'll take that back. In the late 50s, he got into the Army, military, spent some time in Korea. Uh, after the war, came back, married my mom in 64. They lived down in Tampa until 72, and then they moved back up to Tennessee. Um He said when he left for the Army, there were zero deer. And when he got back to Tennessee in the early 70s, they were eat up with deer everywhere. And so he started deer hunting a little bit. Um, Still were no turkeys. I don't think we had turkeys in our area of Tennessee until at least the late 80s. Um, So – He never knew anything about turkey hunting, had never turkey hunted. He would shoot one, you know, every now and then in the spring, you know, to eat because he did, he did like the turkey breast. He would make, you know, schnitzel, I guess they call it now, out of turkey breast. So he did like to eat them, but he had zero clue about hunting them. And it wasn't until I was probably 15 and my ag teacher, Mr. Mayberry in high school, he would bring his turkey calls, you know, that, spring semester early in that spring semester january february time frame and he'd start messing with his turkey calls he'd either practice with them or just tinker around with a box call pot call whatever and it just got my attention uh like i said i'd never been around turkey hunting so i just kind of picked his brain about it and he said yeah I'll, i'd love to take you uh, and uh he what, he came out to our farm um uh, just to kind of expose me to turkey hunting and we didn't kill a bird that day, but I remember he got him the gobble. And that's, I think that's the first spring gobble that I ever heard, you know, was with him. And it just sparked a little something in my brain. It's like, oh, well, this is a lot more fun to me than deer hunting. Cause I would just, you know, I, th- I hunted all private land. You know, we had a lot of farms rented for cattle and crops and whatever. So I would just, we would build a, a deer stand out of two by fours up in the forks of the tree, that kind of thing, and nail some steps up to it. And I'd sit there and wait for deer to come by, and that was my deer hunting. Uh, so turkey hunting just appealed to me and that a lot of walking around, just interaction with animals and things like that. So I basically just we just built blinds in the edges of the fields because we didn't really know how to turkey hunt any other way and just waited for turkeys to come by, and I ended up killing a jake. Uh, with an old hatchback Belgium Brown and 20-gauge, I think, with squirrel shot. I don't even know. I had no idea there were actual turkey shells, you know, in the world. I just got whatever high brass 20-gauge shells that were rolling around in the drawer and uh, killed me a jake. And then as I started taking in more turkey hunting content from, you know, I think back in that day it was like Real Tree And uh, the Drury's, I think, were, were really uh, into turkey hunting, big uh, starting out. And so I was taking in more and more turkey content and learning how people actually hunt turkeys, you know, and calling them and everything else. And so I got me a lynchbox call, started trying to, you know, just make turkey noises on it. I eventually killed a couple gobblers, you know, out of those brush blinds or whatever. And then I finally I watched some video with like a it was I can't remember if it was a commercial or what, but with the pretty boy decoys from way back in the day. Those giant strutting decoys with the big lay down hand that you carried around in a laundry sack, uh, that it was about the size of a fifty five gallon drum when you had uh, everything in there. So I saved up some Christmas money, bought me one of those, and I set that thing up in the edge of a field uh, up at one of our farms. And this was the turkey hunt that like got me hooked on turkey hunting. I remember my first one, and I, I, but I don't remember. The turkeys in between the first one, I'd killed a couple of gobblers, like I said, and uh, between the first one and this hunt, this hunt I will always remember as the hunt that instilled in me a passion for turkey hunting. So I set up that pretty boy decoy in that in the lay down hand or whatever, about thirty yards or so out from the edge of a field, and I I didn't build me a blind. I'd got me a leafy suit, you know, I tucked away off into the brush and uh, i was still basically deer hunting i guess at that point but I i had a little bit more stuff you know for turkeys to interact with instead of them just walking by and there was a little rise in the middle of this field and so i couldn't see the other side of it but the other side was like 300 yards away and a turkey was gobbling over on that other side of the field and i'd call he answered and he'd gobble and i'd answer and back and forth and back and forth and uh he eventually went silent, and I thought he was—I thought he had left. And then I saw his head poke up over that rise. It just looked like a little periscope. He just stuck his head up and was just looking for that hen. And instead of the lone hen he thought he was talking with, he saw that strutting decoy and, and a lay down hen. Well, he just got all kinds of fired up. He dropped all of his feathers. He was kind of in half strut coming over the hill. He dropped all of his feathers and he ran to that decoy. It just looked like the velociraptors from Jurassic park. He just came strutting down or running down through there. And he just tackled this decoy. He was just whooping it, raising all kinds of cane, spinning it around. He was making circles around it, doing those fighting purrs and everything else. And I'd never seen anything like this. And it, there, he was doing this for several seconds. And at one point I was like, I would need to either scare him off or kill him or something, because he's going to mess up this expensive decoy. I just bought And uh, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to afford another one if something happens to it. But I finally got him either stopped, his head stuck up or whatever, and I killed him. And I went over there, and he was a big old, you know, big old dominant bird, I guess you would call him now. He had big old long spurs. Uh, He just had an old wrinkly head. He looked like he'd been around the block a time or two. But oddly enough, something had pulled his beard out. I'll never forget that. And I, I I was looking for a beard. I was like, well, he's got these, you know, they were well over an inch. They were g he's got these giant spurs. Where's his beard? He's gotta have a beard fourteen inches long, you know? And uh or so digging around in his feathers and uh if you you know, if you pulled a beard out, you know, to save, you know, from a tom, you know, it's still got that little spot there. And he had that spot. So I don't know if a coyote got after him, Bobcat, another turkey, I don't know what, but something had pulled that Joker's beard out, but he was a giant mean Tom and just the, that interaction is what got me hooked. And it seems like ever since then, almost every year, I've changed a little bit of something of how I hunt. And uh, here in the last couple of years or a few years, it, I hadn't changed a lot, but I progressed from the pretty boy decoy, strutting decoy, waiting, just waiting on the edge of the field. And now I, I haven't used any decoys personally for just hunting by myself, uh, and i taking more of a minimalist approach, just changing the way I hunt. Uh, And I guess you could liken it to, I still bow, I would still bow hunt during rifle season, you know, just trying to make things a little bit harder on myself and challenge myself and hunting more public land here in the last handful of years. Um, And I just, I have just fallen in love with it year after year after year. And there's, there's no turning back. I just, as many people as did that deer hunt that have been bit by the whitetail bug. I get it. And I talk a lot of trash in, in uh, polo and on discord and our group messages and everything else to everybody. That's uh, so wound up about deer hunting. I totally get it. And it's all in good fun. Just know that I still respect everything you do, but I'm just talking, talking trash. Uh, but it was something that uh, I guess just set me apart. You know, the, no offense to any whitetail hunters, but whitetail hunters are a dime a dozen, maybe even a nickel because there 's so many of them and there 's just not near as many turkey hunters and there 's not near as many people that are truly passionate about turkey hunting and so I just that was just a camp that I decided to join, and you know now that i 'm you know well and in, well into my thirties well I, I say that i 'm knocking on forty here in the next handful of years um, i 've just decided that. I needed to, I needed to either choose deer or turkey or just choose one or the other because mm-hmm. I couldn't have been good at both. I don't think I couldn't devote the time needed to be really good at both. And I'm still I still don't ever claim to be a really good turkey hunter and I'll never will. I may have some experience. I've turkey hunted since I was 15, but that don't make me good. That just means I've I've seen a lot of springs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so um yeah, it uh it's just it's just different and I just chose that's just the the life I've chosen. And it's not that I disrespect or don't agree with whitetail hunting. I still like I still deer hunt every now and then and my buddy Jacob and I were going to Montana here in a couple of weeks mule deer hunting. I still love to go out west and knock around out there. But there was just something about turkey hunting and the culture and the history and I don't know. It just it just spoke to me. And I've just been ate up with it more year after year after year.
1: You know, it's it's funny. you, You talk about you had to pick between the two. If I had to pick between the two, it would be turkey, like without a shadow of a doubt. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the platform has too much to do with whitetails, so I could never truly set it down. And don't get me wrong. I am truly looking forward to deer season. I, I am mm-hmm. a hunter through and through. If there is a season and I have the capacity, I'm going for it. But as mm-hmm. as deer season – or as turkeys have taken a more prevalent point in my life – and, I sp- and I'm trying to get the most out of that because if it's me, if I have to give up a little bit of deer season for turkey season, done. And that's kind of what I've done. My wife's in her MBA. She just got a promotion. She's working her ass off. Probably not supposed to cuss on this podcast. Whoops. Um, I've got a toddler running around. We are busy, and asking my wife to give me nine months of the year to just be gone all the time doesn't make sense. And so this year, I made the conscious decision. Everybody keeps making fun of me. I I don't think they think I'm serious because I had that one season when my son was born and my wife was ill that I didn't hunt. They just think it's a continuation of that. Um, I made a conscious decision this year to pretty much give up September, October, and November. I'm going to hunt during the cold weather of December and January. And when that's done, I'm going to be, you know, hanging out with her February all the way up until the start of, of turkey season. And then don't put anything on the calendar. It, uh, Katie bar the doors. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. Okay.
0: Hmm. The
1: difference with that is I've got terrific, terrific opportunities around me. I'm, I'm privileged in that regard. I've got terrific deer hunting mentors. Um, but turkey hunting per- requires such a little amount of prep. Right, yep. the barrier to go turkey hunting and to be equipped to, to do so is your commute to and from work, where mm-hmm. you're playing with your mouth calls. Right? It's 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 that, yep. it's that it's that it's that that low barrier, and I feel like I used to say turkey hunting came naturally to me. It didn't. I've I've gotten my teeth kicked in. I feel confident every time I get out of the woods. I'm gonna into the woods. I'm gonna kill a turkey. Not because I'm. Shane Simpson, I just feel like I understand turkeys, whereas with deer, it's like I can never freaking figure out why they do what they do down here in the south. You take me out of the deep south, I can kind of figure it out. But down here, Brett is talking German and Lebanese and all kinds (laughs) of different languages to me, and I kind of pick up on bits of it. But, dude, you start talking turkey, I'm like, boom, makes sense. Boom, makes sense. I'm going to apply that. And the ability to just go out and immediately apply it has been something that has been more natural to me um mm-hmm. i'm probably never going to be a great turkey hunter uh you know i'm i'm privileged and i've got a pile of birds within a four-hour drive of my house and that's why i kill birds um one of the big reasons why dave owens kills as many turkeys as he is does is because he's in the woods seven days a week almost right yeah yeah terrific turkey hunter but he's got birds and he's got opportunities and it's only a matter mm-hmm. of time um but I, I just, as I get older, man, because I'm just into my 30s, I'm 33, right? Um, maybe a year or two away from well into my 30s. But <laughs> as I get there, it's like I'm kind of with you. I'll take a shorter deer season for a very intense, my knees and feet and back and mind hurt from turkey season every mm-hmm. day of the week.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, people, you know, when people say they're obsessed with it or it's, it's, It's gotten to a point now where every large major or major decision in my life has turkey season kind of gnawing at the back of my head. Like, like it it could be something that goes on in December. It doesn't matter what it is. When something comes up like this, you know, XYZ needs to happen or, you know, this is an event or whatever, immediately something turns on in the back of my head. Does this or does this not affect me? yeah. In the yeah. spring, mm-hmm. and like it's 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 weird um, because, like I said, I've made life altering decisions mm-hmm. based off of turkey season, and two of those life altering decisions are now one and three years old. <laughs> uh, my son, uh, my son was born and uh, he was born June ninth. My daughter was born August twenty seventh, and we we planned that. You know, we, I slept on the couch for you know a a certain a couple months just so we didn't have any uh, occurrences or appearances during (laughs) springtime. And I think to myself, you know, that's selfish of me. But you know, my wife, she knew that going into it, and I think that's that's where a lot of you know maybe relationships get a little rocky. You know, that's not something. Something that we're as passionate about, like turkeys, or it could be whitetail or bird hunting, duck hunting, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, if, you're, if your mindset floats to, does this affect me hunting or not, no matter what the decision or question is, no matter what mm-hmm. time of year it comes up, that needs to be established before you make, you know, large commitments, you know, lifelong commitments with a, with a husband or a wife, so... Mm-hmm. And that's what I, that's why I said before. You know, it's borderline mental disorder because every time something comes up, like oh, we gotta we gotta do this in December, the little voice in the back of my head, hey, it's you're not gonna you're not gonna miss a weekend in the spring. You're good. <laughs>
1: it's, yep, and it's, it's a real. thing. It's always it's back a, there. It's always yeah. back there. Yeah. Well, and uh, we'll, we'll plan house house honeydews around it. Don't count on mm-hmm. me being productive around the house in the spring. Grass is going to get knee high. I I don't I don't care. I'm not apologetic about it. Um, you know it's it's this whole fall everybody's been laughing at me. I've been working on these flower beds, getting these yeah. flower beds installed. I couldn't care less. Unless I'm laughing all the way to the bank in my mind, because that means that's one dang thing I don't have to keep up with come springtime. You know, yeah. I mean that's that's one thing knocked off that honeydew list, and now my wife's happy about it. So I, I'm with you, man. I my son was born uh, middle of June, early June I should mm-hmm. say, June second, and um that was part of the discussion. My wife was a bit aghast when I told her it couldn't happen during mm-hmm. turkey season. Um, but, uh, it, it, it landed right thread of the needle on it. But last year she's like, Hey, my, my sister's getting married, uh, first week of May or second week of May. I'm like, darn, I mean, what are we going to do? Who do you, you watch the kid, get a babysitter while you're up there? She's like, you have to make my sister's wedding. I was like, dude, I'm sorry. What are we going to do? And so she's really upset with me. And that was when, um, I started looking at states that had a late turkey season. And -hmm. I was like, all right, cool. I had 12 weeks of turkey planned. I'm getting 12 weeks of turkey. I'll give you the second week in May. And late May, Mm -hmm. I'm making a trip out of state. And she kind of looked at me like, are you kidding? I was like, "Nah, dude. I drew these lines. We agreed to them. I'm not going to be – if I miss something like that, I'm going to be a not good person for the next 12 calendar months. So it's like pick your poison. Which do you want? You know? Mm Mm-hmm. And she even knows it now, like she'll, she'll tell people, my mother and father-in-law, like, hey, do you want to come over for such and such Saturday? They don't even ask if I'm going to be there during turkey season. Friends are like, hey, do you want to, nope, sorry, it's middle of March, Walt won't be there. They just know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's,
2: they, the way I look at it now, you know, either like a wedding, like if somebody has a wedding, you know, like during, in the middle of April or something, either I'm probably not going to go anyway. Because I Mm -hmm. don't know you that well. And if you Mm -hmm. know me well enough, you wouldn't invite me. (laughs) Yeah, you know better than to even invite me and tell me about it because I'm not coming. Now I say that my anniversary is May 4th. Yeah, that that was a uh, that was a negotiation uh, from my wife. You know, she didn't want to wait until June because it gets so hot, you know, to to have a to have any kind of wedding and be dressed up. So I was like, well, okay you know, that's that's one day and that's an anniversary. And, you know, we can I'll I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So that's I
1: got I got really lucky. I picked March 7th. She gave me two dates. October seventh or March seventh, and and we got married back when I couldn't give a damn about turkey hunting and I was all about yeah. deer. And I went March, done, easy peasy lemon squeezy. Now in hindsight, I could be down in I could be down in South Florida, yep. <laughs> Jason Osceola's, had I not given that weekend up. But the way I choose to look at it is, they ain't that much hunting I'm missing March seventh. Anyways, I got yeah. really lucky, and so we make a big trip and a big hoorah. It's kind of uh, it's kind of like a going away party, you know. This, this mm-hmm. is the last like un. Un, um, and she, dude, she'll draw the line. I'll start getting antsy like like March 14th. I'm like, hey, um, you want to take the kids to school today? I think I might go listen for turkey. She's like, it's not turkey season. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I know, but she's like, no, hard no. When's the season start? 21st. Great, you can start doing that crap on the 21st. You already know where the turkeys are. You got 42 different spots you can go to if somebody beat you to your spot. No, hard no. And I'm like, oh. and I'm like, all right, you know what? I made a deal. Those twelve weeks are my twelve weeks, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's fun, man. I'm I'm glad you're on board. Um, I'm glad I'm glad we're doing this thing. I think uh, people are going to really benefit from your in- in- interview style, your experience, and your passion. You're a well articulated guy. Uh, we got to close it out. I teased it earlier. You you did your first turkey competition not too long back, which is something I think not a lot of people do. How'd that pan out for you?
2: So, yeah, this was uh. September of 2022, so it was just just over a year ago that I went and did my first competition, uh, calling competition. Had never, before last year, I hadn't ever really thought about it. It never even crossed my mind, and uh, I just got got inspired to go finally do one. And I was looking on the calendar. I was looking on NWTF's uh, event calendar or whatever, and I was trying to find one near me. And there weren't any within driving distance of me for several months i think i was looking around the summer um but there was one up in maryland now uh for those that don't know i travel a lot for work i fly a lot i get a lot of frequent flyer miles so i can pretty much fly anywhere in the country for free uh nowadays and so i was like okay there's maryland um i can go do that one and i just started practicing a little bit more Uh just, I'll usually have a call, you know, somewhere in my vicinity anyway. But I just kept more, I guess, in uh, in my vicinity, trying to lead up to this uh, this calling competition. Now, the NWTF they have different uh, categories for, uh, for either either experience levels, or they have friction, they have owl hooting, they have gobbling, and then as far as experience levels, they have pults, which you know is for smaller small kids. You know, it's usually. I don't know ten under or something. You know, young kids. Then they have Jakes or, or I forget what they they have a name for them like youth youth uh, categories. And then the adult uh, like am, the amateur or it's called a hundred category. Sometimes it's for people that's like, hey, I've never called before. This is the this is the category I want to I want to try to enter because you're pitting yourself usually against you know just. Guys like me, you know, never called on a stage before, uh, done anything like that. So in a perfect scenario, you know, there'd be several guys like me (laughs) that were just looking to get their feet wet in the competition calling. Now, the way that all of these categories are set up, so they, let's say, okay, we're going to start the amateur um, calling uh, category here soon. We need all the contestants to come up here. And you draw a number. So the way they do it, if there are, let's say there are five contestants for this category, they draw six numbers. The reason being, if you draw the first number, you get to redraw. Because I forget the exact, the exact reason. And I'm probably going to butcher it just trying to describe it. There was something, you don't want to be the first one out there and that be your only run. Um, it basically gives you a second chance. And I think it had something to do with judges and everything like that, too. Uh, But anyway, uh, five contestants, you get drawn. uh, You draw uh, for six numbers for six places. And so when they called for all of the amateur uh, division contestants to come up there and start drawing numbers, I went up there and amateur is like open for everybody. Absolutely everybody. Uh, they have other categories or divisions where it's you know in this case it was Maryland State so you had to be a Maryland state resident to enter uh, this division and then they have the Maryland open which is just open for everybody non-resident residents or whoever so they called uh, they called for the amateur division and I went up there and there were a couple other kids up there and I'm kind of standing standing up there and I'm looking around it's like uh is, is there is there anybody else? you know, where's all these other people at that I thought were gonna be up here? And so I forget there was me and legit, like the, the rest of them were kids. I was the only adult in this in this category. And I was like, oh, here we go. And so I just drew drew my number and uh, the kids drew their numbers and we just went through there. We all did our you know our routines and everything else. And uh, I ended up winning that division, and so of course you get your picture made with uh, you know first, second, third place, or the you know the whole the, the whole division, or just whatever. And so I have my trophy. They have a trophy for each division, and so I have my amateur uh, division champion trophy. And I'm standing there, and there's, like, two little kids just right beside me uh, that were, like, 10 10 and 12 years old or something. And they had called before. I mean, I think they had been in, like, a bunch of other uh, competitions. Their dad was a call maker, and they go to a bunch of competitions. And uh, so they were, well, uh, (laughs) plenty more experienced than I was. But I ended up winning that division. And I'll uh, I'll have to send you the picture. It, it just looks like Billy Madison because <laughs> I'm just standing there, a grown grown man in my 30s with a beard, and there's two little kids. And I, I'm still as proud as I could be uh, for winning that thing, and I still got the trophy. But uh, yeah, that was my experience uh, with my first turkey calling competition. I went out there and I just smoked a couple kids. <laughs>
1: I just, I just love that because, like, I don't know that I would have had. Honestly, I don't know that I would have had the gumption to actually act like my name was Walter Lee. If they had pulled it out of the pot and I realized, I, and that I think I would have been like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. Although, although I probably would have got my butt whooped by those kids. And you're a much better caller, so maybe that's the difference there. You just I knew was intrinsically legit it was surprised. over. I was legit surprised
2: that I even placed because I they had called, and like I said, you know, the Polts or the Jakes or whatever other youth divisions, and these kids were good callers. Uh, they were as good as anybody else up there. But uh, the thing about the amateur is uh, once you win an amateur division, you can't enter it anymore. Or maybe you can't, but I think it's like, I mean, why why would you? I mean, you want to step your game up. And I did, I still entered the the open you know, the open division. And, and so it's not like that's the only division I entered was just to go up right. against a couple of kids. I went up against, you know, these championship callers, and I got absolutely destroyed by these guys because they are actual callers and not just dunks from Tennessee with a turkey call. Um, and when you – you still learn so much, you know, when you go to these sure. call competitions. And you interact with the with the other callers, you know, in the back room before it's your turn to go up. Uh, you talk with each other. I mean, there a lot of these guys know each other because they go to so many. And uh, even if you're the odd man out, you know they they still talk. They still talk to me. Uh, wanted to know about me. I was like, and I went to another one in Kentucky this past year, and uh, I was talking to some guys. Like, yeah, this is my second one, and you know they were very encouraging. Like, hey, keep it up. You know, such such. Here's here's what I did. Here's some advice. Whatever. And so I encourage everybody to just. Jump in, get your feet wet. Go to that amateur division, even if it is a bunch of kids. Just uh, get that experience of going up and calling in front of people. It's like public speaking, you know. Uh, right. Uh, public speaking is a huge uh, phobia for so many people. It's it's going to be like that. You just have to get in there and do it, and get used to it, get comfortable with it, and uh, be confident. You know, just be confident in your abilities, and then the scores scores come back the way they come back. Just I've compiled, I've kept all my score sheets, and I just kind of keep a, keep a record of them, and I see like, hey, I got better at this call versus last time, or I did score this versus last time, and I just try to keep up with it, and I'm constantly trying to learn how to better myself at calling. And not really because of the competition standpoint, because I just want to be able to communicate with turkeys better, and diving into the competition thing has helped me do that and i think like uh, this past year i used a lot of soft calling and calls that i had never really used before a lot of whines a lot of just soft purrs feeding stuff whatever and i don't know that i would really would have been uh, been motivated to learn that stuff had it not been for the competition and uh, so, yeah, it's a huge learning experience. It's a great experience. You'll learn, um, you'll learn so much. You'll meet, you'll meet grand national champions. I think what the, I went up to the one in Kentucky this past, this past summer and uh, Jesse Martin was up there. I don't know how many championships he'd won, um, but he was also very encouraging. Um, a lot of great things to say, you know, just they they're always trying to get more people to come because it's sure. it's good for the sport, it's good for uh, it's good for the NWTF, you know, it raises a lot of money for them, you know, sponsors for the prizes and the and advertising and everything else. So I encourage everybody to jump into it.
1: Well dude, listen, I uh, I am excited. Uh we've got I think 7, I think I was looking at 7 episodes lined up as of right now uh for content. So no, we've got 9. You got nine different potential arenas we're going to break into this with some really quality guests which is kind of the emphasis we're going to really try and find the the true subject matter experts that can really provide a good dialogue to this and mm-hmm. uh it's, it's not going to take the, the, the place of a regular episode. This is going to be in addition to the four regular episodes until we get to turkey season, in which case it'll probably mm-hmm. kind of flop. We'll probably have additional deer content uh, mm-hmm. in that time period because I know that's still something that you guys really want. So we're going to try and bring that to you guys as well. So, uh, Joey, I appreciate you to no end. I am... Speaking for everybody on the team and the entire listener base, whether they know it or not at this point, they should by now. We are amped to have you, man. This is going to be an absolute blast. And so um, if you want to learn more, just stay subscribed to this feed. Tell your friends about it to help us grow the podcast. Uh, If you want to go to to turkey camp and pick Joey's brain, maybe even be paired up with him to go uh, shoot a turkey and listen to how he calls. Um, it's very insightful. That's going to be probably one of the topics we end up covering at some point in time as well. Um, but until next time, guys, y'all get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.